from AM and FM stations around the country. Welcome to the Small Business Administration award-winning School for Startups Radio, where we talk all things small business and entrepreneurship. Now, here is your host, the guy that believes anyone can be a successful entrepreneur because entrepreneurship is not about creativity, risk, or passion, Jim Beach. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another exciting edition of School for Startups Radio. It's October 27th, a... Great Friday. We're going to make it great. Our attitude is never going to give up. Always keep fighting because us entrepreneurs, well, that's just what we do. I have a fantastic show for you. We're going to start off talking a little bit about European entrepreneurship and manufacturing with Rene Renan Devalier. Boy, that's a hard name for me to say. I hope I got it right. He has built an amazing company called OSS Ventures. We will learn about it. And then we are going to talk about creating great content, course creation, having your own course, as all of you should, with Nancy Geary. Uh, very, very impressive what she is doing in that course space. And so I'm excited to learn best practices from her. Anyway, cram pack show, and we're going to get started in about five seconds. Four, three, two, we are back. And again, thank you so very much for being with us. I am very excited yet a little bit scared to introduce my first guest. I'm excited because, boy, this looks like an amazing career and lots of conversations for us to have. But I'm scared because, well, he's French and so therefore he's more sophisticated than I am sexier than I am, all the women will say, but I have to pronounce his name now. I'm putting it off as long as possible. How long an introduction can I do without saying his name? Please welcome Renan Devalier to the show. How did I do? Hello. Excellent. You sounded very French and sexy and everything. <laughs> he started a business and sold it to Google Ventures in 2018. You don't get any more impressive than that. And then in 2019, he started a company called OSS Ventures designed to help support manufacturing in Europe. In France, in Europe, entrepreneurship is generally much less prevalent than in the United States is a little riskier. Uh, I've seen data that it's three to 4% of the GDP, where in the United States, it's maybe 10 or 11%. Is it strange for you to be an entrepreneur in France? Do you stick out? Are you unusual? Uh, yeah. Entrepreneurship is, um, is a different beast in Europe. And uh, culturally, the, the, the figure of the entrepreneur uh, is not celebrated like at all. And so when you're at dinner or you need to explain to your mom or worse, the mom of your fiancé, uh, it's still weird to say you're an entrepreneur. Do you avoid the word? Do you say I'm a business owner instead? Or do you, do you almost try to hide it? I wouldn't go as far as to say we are trying to hide it. We, we, we speak of that uh, when we have to. But let's say it's not the first thing that you talk about uh, in dinners, uh, as we say in French, dans les dîners en ville. Uh, and so we, we, we generally 
than to speak of all the things outside of the, of the world of work. Yeah. Do you talk about abortion before you talk about entrepreneurship? <laughs> oh, yeah. We talk about politics. We talk about <laughs> politics and sex before business. <laughs> okay. Well, let's talk about sex then. Let's treat you the way you want to be treated. Uh, <laughs> so why did you decide to do it then? What's, why are you so French different? Well, I, I guess I am always kicked out. So it was always different for me. Uh, when, I was a, when I was a kid, I, 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 sold, um, I sold a program on my calculator to fellow kids in school to make some money. And uh, then when I realized I was good at math and computing, um, I went a very traditional career route like McKinsey and company, big consulting names because it was the thing to do. It was cool and it was like, it was what others wanted me to do. But I quickly realized that I was not that happy, that I was bad at politics and that when I had an idea and I started, it was the right one. I was utterly unable to shut the hell up and I had to do it. And so this does not go well with being a consultant or being an employee. And so I had kind of had to create companies because that's the only way to get the things that you think are important in the world without having like to go through the gatekeepers. I love the attitude. Tell us about your first business that you sold to Google. Yeah, so I showed I sold my shares to all existing shareholders, including Google. So basically, I, I woke up one day and I told myself, okay, one of the biggest issues that I see is that most people are not happy at their job, and hence they kind of suck at it. And so I told myself, what if it's a misallocation problem? Like if everybody knew what each job is like, would they be able to pick better jobs for them because they like what it takes for that job? And so would they be happier? And so would they be better at that job? And so I told myself, this seems like a math problem. So I started coding and I found two co-founders and we found that for the bottom 30% of jobs, Basically, if you've been a cashier one time in your life, well, there is that piece of paper called curriculum vitae, and you just put that you've been a cashier, and some HR intern will look at the paper and say, oh, he's been a cashier, let's put it as a cashier. But what what's if that you're word? not... What's the last word you're saying? Yeah. Cashier. Cashier. You know that, like, okay, cashier. I'm yeah, sorry. exactly. I'm sorry. Yeah, Keep no going. problem. Uh, it's made my actions. Yes. And so... And so, yeah, but what if you suck at being a cashier? It, it shows nowhere. And maybe you'd be way better at, I don't know, working for Amazon in a warehouse because you don't like talking to people. And so we created a test, and that test uh, was able to look if you like talking to people, if you like details, if you like uh, doing a lot of things or doing few things but with a high level of attention to details and blah, blah, blah. And so with that test, we were able to divide uh, the number of people getting fired from their job uh, in the first year by two. So basically, half of the people would get not fired. 
And so satisfaction at the jump went up 15%. So we made a company out of that. At the height of the company, we were doing uh, one recruitment out of every 30 recruitment in Brazil. Uh, in Brazil, because the business was illegal in Europe because of GDPR. So we just moved. Um, and so that's where we raised money in Silicon Valley, and I ended up getting my shares uh, in 2018. So yeah, that's, that's what happened. Well, congratulations on that. That's the way to do it. Get the money off the table. And uh, that makes a lot of sense. Did that change the opinion of some of the people who didn't want you to become an entrepreneur earlier? Like your girlfriend's parents? To be honest, (laughs) not really, because uh, like it's still, it's still weird for people to just make money in entrepreneurship in Europe. And so people would rather, like, people would rather ignore the fact than change their minds, which is okay. I'm not, I'm not waking up in the morning with that goal because I think it's a losing one. So, yeah. Interesting. Are, do people want to be rich in France? No, they don't. There's a saying, which is, you know, in, in the U.S., People say, I feel like a million bucks. In France, we say, Je me sens comme un roi, I feel like a king. So people don't want money, they want status in Europe. Interesting. Absolutely fascinating. That's a great example that they don't say, I want to be a millionaire. Good job of knowing that expression, but I want to be <laughs> a king. That's, uh, that's absolutely fascinating. French kings don't do very well, though. Don't most of them get their head cut off in the end? Yeah, but for a brief <laughs> moment in time, they get all the attention they want. And so, you know, you know, I have a stat for you. Half of the biggest companies in France are run by former people who used to be in the French administration. <laughs> you mean in the government? So, yeah. Wow. And so, yeah, people want stages because it works. Right. Right. Well, you know, safety is a wonderful feeling and knowing you're going to get a paycheck is a wonderful feeling. So I can certainly, uh, understand that. Um, Mm. my my wife wishes I understood it better sometimes. All right. (laughs) OSS. How did you transition into your next venture? Tell us about OSS Ventures. So two things happened. The first one is when I exited my company, uh, my wife told me that I had to get out of the house because I was just walking inside in circles in the living room, uh, calling people, and it it pissed her off. So she said, (laughs) you have to exit the house and and do something with your life. So I said, okay. Um, And I visited Tesla for a month. In California, I visited the plant. How did and you arrange I that? The plant. Hey, I knew a guy who knew a guy. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love that attitude. Okay, keep going. And what did you learn and by seeing Tesla for a month? I visited Tesla and I thought, holy moly, this is going to change everything. I think that every single factory in the world in 15 years will be more or less like Tesla Fremont and not like what they are today. 
What's the difference? Like what is change. Tesla doing different in manufacturing? Very simple. If you go to an average manufacturing in 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 the US, four percent of their total sales is spent on software. If you go to Tesla, it's fifteen. So they put software in operations, and so software does a lot of job with the machine. Software does a lot of job with the car. Software does a lot of job programming the machine. Software does a lot of job transporting things around, and they are literally. 10 years. Like, there's no one, maybe Build Your Dreams, which is a Chinese car manufacturer, um, but those are the two companies that have, that are living 10 years in the future. And so I saw that and I said, holy moly, I want to work in that because that's so nerdy and so interesting and I love it. So that's the first thing that happened. And so I told myself, okay, how can I, how can I, like, be in that space and by doing that, I, I did what every single nerd would do. I opened up a database and I put 400 startups early stage that were working in that space. And I called them all saying, do you want me to invest some of the money that I get? Uh, do you want me to work with you? And so I made 400 calls in like a month and a half. Um, what were the results? Really what were the... How many no's versus yeses? So, what I had more than half yeses, but uh, the one that didn't want to do it was me <laughs> because I discovered a few things. Uh, one, there are not enough startups in manufacturing right now. So, manufacturing is roughly 25% of GDP, it's 0.7% of startups. So, there is like there is a factor of 100 between the number of startups that should exist in manufacturing versus the number of startups that exist today in manufacturing. So most startups need to be created. That was the first finding. The second finding was a lot of people were starting startups for manufacturing, but the issue is that they came from manufacturing, not from the tech sector. And so those were slow, antiquated processes, not knowing how to build the tech company, not having the right metrics and right way of thinking of products and everything, not the right talent. And so I didn't want to work with those companies. And so I told myself, hmm, so there are not enough startups in the area that I want to invest. And those startups are kind of slow because not enough tech people come to the manufacturing sector. And so I said to myself, okay, I have an idea. And my idea was, Instead of investing in companies that already exist, what if I create companies that don't exist yet, but should? And so that's how OSS Ventures was born. And so OSS Ventures is what is called a venture builder or startup studio. And so we create four new companies per year, only in the manufacturing sectors, and uh, we scale them up until half a million, one million revenue. And then there are independent companies and we take 25% shares in those companies. So to give you some numbers, um, we, we started 19 companies. We launched 15 companies. The 15 companies are live in 1,200 factories all around the world. Um, and collectively, we do 22 million sales this year. So we are a little under four year old. 
So we do 22 million sales. Um, and we should double next year, so 44 million sales. And uh, so far, I multiplied the money that I invested by a factor of five, which is a good thing. Unbelievable. What an incredible success. How do you come up with the ideas of what to manufacture? Do you just walk down the, the aisles of the department store and say, we should make this? They make that in China. Let's make it in Europe. Yeah, so the, the, the way that it happened is that the first day that I flew back to Europe, he kept my phone and called the factory and said, hey, do you want me to come to your factory and scan for pain points and scan for the things that they could solve? And it's going to be free until it works because I'm the one taking the risk. And I called, I think, 80 factories and 40 said yes. And so I was off with my first 40 factories to work with in like a few weeks. And what are, can you give me an example, Renan, of how the technology software actually makes the, uh, the hardware factory robots work better? Uh, give me an example yeah. of the success for you. Can you do that? Sure. Yeah, sure. I'm going to give you uh, two examples. The first one is uh, one of the first companies that we created. It's called Fabric. So Fabric is uh, what is called a digital problem-solving tool. So in all factories in all the world, you have a lot of problems, like quality issues, problems because something is not working in our lender. Okay. So digitally, you put a single record where everyone can put a new problem and put like the actions that they did, the impact that it had, did it work or not, and everything, everything. So we digitize that. So you go from Excel or mail or like written things to a single record of all issues. But then you put some AI on top of that. And now people enter their problems and we are able to say to that problem, that known fix in your company. Or you are putting three problems of quality today we think that you have a quality crisis going on and it's earlier in the process of manufacturing and we think it is there. So go, go look there. And so AI is starting to direct the humans to do better problem solving and understand almost naturally what's going on in the factory. And so companies that have adopted Fabric have seen up to 30% productivity gains in their engineers of finding and solving technical engineering issues in factories. That's typically what you do. Well, that is a great example. You said that there were two though, Renan? Yeah. Okay, give me so the other one. The, yeah, sure. So the other one, uh, the name is Flowlity. So Flowlity, what it does is you put it in your system and it looks for stock levels. So stock levels is you have maybe 1,000, 2,000, 10,000 different components that you are using to make your factory work. So the question is, how much components should I have at any time? And how much components should I be ordering to my suppliers? That is a very basic question, but that is very hard to answer. And if you don't do it right, either you have too many stocks and so it costs a lot of money or you have too few stocks and your factory cannot work because you don't have to depart to make it work. 
And so it's a very, very costly and complicated problem. And so Flowlity, you put Flowlity in your system and it listens for one year or two years. And after two years, it says, that's the level, it's wrong. You should do this and this and that. That's the level, it's wrong. You should do this and this and that. That quantity that you ordered for your supplier, it's wrong. You should do this and this and that because an AI is learning each time what's happening. With that, for example, we are working with Saint-Gobain. Saint-Gobain is a, a very, very well-known uh, glass manufacturer. They improved 27% cost of stocks and material, which is tens and tens of millions per year. That's a good example, Renan. <laughs> well well <laughs> done. Uh, amazing. Amazing. Thank you. So uh, how do you measure the OSS ventures? Are you, in terms of money under management, number of employees, money deployed, How are, what are your KPI for OSS? Yeah. So the main KPI is total sales of the underlying portfolio because I'm a very simple guy. And I think that if the companies are doing a lot of sales, then it's really good. So that's the main KPI. We, we monitor that weekly. So weekly, we, are, we have all the number of sales of all the companies. So that's the main KPI. Then you have the valuation of the portfolio divided by the money that we deployed. So today, that ratio sits at 5x. So we made five times the money. And so I'm making sure that every euro that I invest more in OSS Ventures can have the same kind of return. And if the return goes down, I get worried. That's the second thing that we are actively looking at. The third thing that we are looking at is churn. So churn is the number of times that people stop using the solutions that have been done by OSS. And so to give you a sense of where we stand, so we've been operating for three years and a half, really. We deployed 1,200 factories and the churn was less than 10 times. So 10 times people stopped using the service and 1,190 times they get on using the services. So that's the main KPIs that we are looking at. Okay. Pretty impressive. Who do you... you. Uh, who are your heroes, your entrepreneurial heroes, and in particular... Uh, any French entrepreneurs that you are fascinated, for example, LMVH, is that the name of the company? Uh, yeah. I don't remember his yeah. name right now. He's number two or three in the Hello. world. Uh, yeah. The luxury brand, yeah. they own Louis Vuitton. And, yeah, no, no. yeah. What are your, who's your, your heroes? So I would say that my number one hero is Elon Musk. Okay, I knew sure. that. That's why I said I want a French answer because so, yeah. you spend so, time at the factory. And so, yes. Yeah, exactly. But I would say in terms of French founders, um, there are two uh, who comes to mind. The first one would be uh, Xavier Niel. So Xavier Niel is a guy came from nothing. And now he owns the second largest cellular network in France and in Europe. He's a billionaire and also is the one that started the French tech ecosystem. So just to give you a sense of what he did, he bought one of the largest uh, buildings in Paris and he said that is housing for free for all startups 
in Paris. So you can just come and hack away. And he puts a very uh, interesting investment fund in that building. And the deal was, if you get to that building and you start using the space, then you have to get by the money managers and they may invest in you. And so invest in one startup per day. Wow. Like there's one investment per day, <laughs> which is mind-blowing. So I would say him and he's a tech entrepreneur. He's incredibly smart. And also one thing that is very like uncommon in France and Europe is that he really has the American giving back attitude, even if he's European. What is his name again? Xavier Niel. Spell that, please. Is the is this X A V A A R and Neil is N A E L, and so he's the founder of CEO and CEO of uh, Free. Like Free is the one of the biggest brain names in Europe. Okay, I'm embarrassed that I have not heard of him. Uh, uh, look the guy up; he's amazing. I, I am. Oh, I already found out this. He married one of the children of the oh, LMVH, Arnold. Yeah. <laughs> Arnold. yeah. He, he married, he married Delphine. Yes. But so, he was I already mean, rich. No, so it doesn't count. Yeah. I mean, well, I mean, it's, uh, it's just not fair that the billionaires are marrying the billionaire women. Us <laughs> poor people should be marrying the billionaire women, not billionaires already. It's true. I, I'm it's just true. upset about that. So, so yeah, he's it, a, it's a very big inspiration. I think he's, uh, we, he could be celebrated. I, I really respect Bernard Arnault, uh, who founded LVMH. It's a different kind of entrepreneurship. It's a, it's a non-tech very traditional, very uh, luxury-based um, entrepreneurship, very financial. He's a genius, and he created something incredible, so I have a lot of respect for him. But I would say that uh, Xavier Niel is my top pick because he's in tech and because he's, like, uh, to put it like simply, I think he's the most Californian billionaire in Europe. And so when will you open American offices and American branches of this company? Thank you for asking. 2024, 2025 at the latest. All right. And are I'm you thinking of Detroit or Austin, Texas? Okay. And you're going to hire me to manage. I'll be the American manager. Is that what I've heard? For sure. Let's go. Yes. I heard that. So I just wanted to make sure yeah. that you were on board too. Uh, yeah, yeah. Sure. Excellent. The papers are coming tomorrow. Perfect. Perfect. And I got all of my points in the negotiation. I got all of the things yeah, I wanted, like the chateau. Yeah. Did I get the chateau? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The chateau and the complimentary cheese oh, are coming your way. Cheese. That's right. Back to lunch. You just had lunch with cheese. <laughs> oh, I'm so jealous. <laughs> Renan, it's an amazing story, and I can't wait to follow it. And when you start here in the States, please come back and tell us more about it. Sure. That would be with great pleasure. How do we find out more about you, follow you online, learn more about OSS? Yeah, so we are on Twitter, we are on LinkedIn, obviously, and more importantly than anything is if you're a founder, you want to create a company in manufacturing and you understand that there is a massive opportunity, then 
come just work with us. Uh, we have a lot of people come flying from America to create companies with us and start the companies. Uh, we have two companies that we created that are located in the, in the U.S. So please apply and please hit us up with a mail. Uh, we are always looking for great talent. That's our main bottleneck today. It's not money, it's not ideas, it's not companies to launch, it's talent. So please apply. And what's the best URL? Yeah, so oss.ventures. Okay. What does OSS stand for? So Operations Startup Studio. I'm a very simple guy. Excellent. Well, it was also, you know, you know what the CIA is, right? Yeah, the Office of Secret Service have been told that. Yes, so before the CIA, we had the OSS. So Yeah, I know. That which so, is awesome. So Americans think that the, you're probably a spy. Yeah, no, I'm not. I'm not. I'm just doing software for factories. It's much <laughs> more boring than that. Renan, thank you so much for being with us. It's an amazing story. Congratulations on what you're doing. And uh, you make me like uh, Europeans again. Ah, excellent. Please come by Paris and we'll treat you to cheese. And thank you for having me. It was a blast. Uh, you were a great guest. Thank you so much. And we will be right back. Well, that's a, that's, a, that's a wonderful question, actually, Jim. Oh, my gosh, I love the opportunity to do this. Thank you, Jim. Wow, that's, that's, a, that's a great one. You know, that is a phenomenal question. That's a great question, and, and I don't have a great answer. That's a great question. Oh, that is such a loaded question. And that's actually a really good question. School for Startups Radio. Yes, we are back. And again, as always, still very appreciative that you are with us. You know, we talk about so many different things on the show, and I sort of assume that all of you are going to write a book and get a course out there. That's part of the formula, right? Well, maybe we need to go into that a little bit more and talk about the course itself. I'm excited to welcome Nancy Geary to the show. She is a course creation expert, has been doing it for over 25 years at her own business. She has been incredibly successful with it and has worked with some of the large Fortune 100 companies and also believes that anyone can turn their expertise into some sort of class as well. She has a book out called Bundle Your Brilliance, Turn Your Expertise into Profitable Online Courses. It is five-star rated on a website called Amazon. You may, maybe you've heard of it. Nancy, welcome. How are you? I'm wonderful. Thank you. I'm coming to you today from Cabo San Lucas. So what could be better than that? Uh, Making money on vacation. Yes, absolutely. Fantastic. Well, I hope you have a good vacation and I appreciate you spending a few minutes with us. What makes a good online class? What makes it work? Well, the first thing that makes it work is to be really clear on who your audience is and the problem that you're trying to solve and what makes you unique. What makes you different? What is your spin? That's everything starts with who do you want to serve? And then from there, it's thinking through and going, now, how do I design this to make it not just a course, but an experience? 
All right. And how do you know if it measures up to the experience moniker? I mean, well, the experience. That, yeah. That has music and dancers and fire engines. <laughs> and Sword swallowers, perhaps. Yeah. Oh, well, good idea. You are good at this. There you go. Yeah. Well, I think it's, you know, it's all about what can you do to make your content, um, you know, as interactive and engaging as possible. So it starts with having, you know, a really great um, visuals, number one, that are very um, compelling to look at. And then it's thinking about, well, what kind of activities can you have people do along the way? What um, are there tools that you can give them that then they can use and they can apply later? You know, you want to get people involved in doing as quickly as possible. You don't want to just be a talking head and drone on and on and on, which sadly is what a lot of uh, is out there in the in the course marketplace. People are so concerned about telling everybody everything that they know that they don't step back and go, what do they really need to be successful? And well, what can I course- get them... Let me make sure we understand something, course, uh, Nancy. The course is designed, the whole reason we do the course is not for you to learn, but for me to shine, right? For me to shine or them to shine? No, me, like the course creator. Is, I mean, <laughs> this is just about <laughs> me, right? I watched a course last night, a, a video or a piano guy. He's awesome. He has charisma. And he's amazing at the piano. He's got a piano course that looks fantastic to me. But the 90-minute webinar that was the suck-in thing, we'll talk about that in a minute. Right, uh, right. Half of it was him playing. You know, I enjoyed watching him play, but I already bought into the fact that he can play really well. You know? Right. Uh so anyway, I'm sort of being facetious here. <laughs> well, because, you know, you, you want to certainly, you know, I think of, you want to shine in that you have great delivery and you can capture people's attention and you can hold their attention. But if you focus more on yourself than your audience and why they're there and what they want to get from you in that particular time, then you, you risk losing them. Can we address the dirty little secret sure i don't know where i've seen it i don't know what the exact number is a huge portion of people that buy online classes never go get past video one Mm -hmm. is this true what are your thoughts on my statement am i making something up okay how what number would you put on that uh i said huge which is anything above three percent you know so uh, I've seen, it, I've seen three percent is like the the, the standard number. But I'm being and, facetious again. I've seen seventy five percent. I've seen ninety percent. Well, well, and I'm flipping it around that um, the completion rate is three okay. percent. Oh yeah, okay, all right, yeah, right, right, yes, yes. right, okay. Yeah, the abandonment rate is eighty. Uh, mm-hmm. Huge, huge, easily. It's huge. Yeah. Uh, the joy is buying the product. Uh, the, what what's going on here psychologically? How do I well, combat this? Well, part of it is there's a mismatch in expectations. People don't write a clear statement of okay, by the end of this course, you're going to be. What are you going to be able to do? And so they'll they'll put something out there and they'll say, okay, this is what you're going to be able to do. And people get into the course and they go, well, wait a minute, what you said is not what I'm getting here. 
And sometimes it's the faults of the course creator and that they don't really align what they're delivering with what they're promising. Other times, you know, we're human, people will think, oh, this is, this is going to give me what I want. And maybe they didn't, you know, really pay attention to it, but they saw, you know, a snappy headline and thought, okay, that's it. I'm in without really doing a deeper dive. So sometimes it's on the creator, but sometimes it's on the, on the participant. And I also think a lot of times people, they just get busy. They get diverted to something else. Another priority comes up. I don't know about that, Nancy. I've never had that problem. (laughs) (laughs) I have shiny ball syndrome really bad. You know, so uh, the new thing is, oh my gosh, look at how cool this is. Yeah. And then you get, you get diverted. Yes. Uh, and it's, you know, it, it things, you know, how important is it? It, you know, how often do people like something is really important and they're really on it today. And then the next day, yeah, not so much. <laughs> right. Well, it depends on what you're buying. If you're buying a piano class, that's different from, uh, you know, debt recovery class or find your new future or take the training you need to. Yeah. Get the degree that you need to get the class right. you need to get the money you need. You know, depends on what we're right. doing here. Uh, but th- sadly, is there any difference between the success rate of get your piano class versus find a new future class? Uh, are the success rates the same no matter what the course is on? It's it, it's really sadly it's all, it's all over the place right, in okay. terms of the success rate. Right? Yeah. It doesn't really matter what the content is. People just aren't aren't completing. They start with good intention and they don't complete. And I think a lot of it is much of what people are producing. It's just it's boring. It moves too slowly. You, you know, if you think about uh, let's look at entertainment. If we're watching a movie or a TV show or the, or the news. The scenes are changing, you know, very rapidly. There's constant movement. And we're con- so our brains are conditioned to these scene changes very rapidly. And then we go and we take a course and it's, it moves slow and it's a lot of talking head. And even though there's a lot of talking head on the news, the scenes keep changing. And that's so I, I have this theory that there's something going on in our minds that we're like, something should be happening here and nothing's happening here. And now I'm getting bored. And I'm going to move on. I'm reading a Marvel book right now, a book about Marvel comics. And it's a business book. You know, how did they succeed? Why are they successful? Why did they get bought by Disney? The whole thing, you know. And they pointed out that the two-hour Marvel movie, 120 minutes, has 200 scenes on average. So your scene, mm-hmm. the entire scene is 45 seconds. And then mm-hmm. we move on to a different scene, you know, and uh, I like that storytelling. You remember that they show, well, one character's doing this and then this character's doing this at the same time. And if they coincide and ha- actually end up in the, the warehouse together at the same moment, everyone will live, you know? <laughs> and so, uh, Yes. So how do I design a course with that kind of attention span? And I hate to make this reference, but it's been made to me. I'm not the one who started this. Your average porn movie is nine minutes long. (laughs) 
that's because that's all it takes, right? That exactly. I wouldn't have put it that way, Nancy. <laughs> but or, or another way to put it is my attention span is only nine minutes long, no matter how good the porn, right? Uh, but how do I des- do I make a bunch of nine minute modules? Uh, how do I design now that I've established that America is baseless? Yes. Well, the first thing to think about is you want to say as much as you can in as little time as possible. So where people, I think, there's a big breakdown is they don't really think about crafting their message and that every word counts. If somebody's preparing a speech, that's one of the main things that they'll tell a professional speaker is you got to make sure that every word counts. So some, for some reason, when people move into this space, they don't think like that. They don't think that every word counts. They don't think about how, what is it that I need, you know, it, and that's, I think, where visuals can come into play because you can bring up a picture and then, you're, you know, you're dropping people in or think about, we often want to give people a lot of backstory. We don't need the backstory. Just drop me right into it. Put well, me right you, there in the time and place. You watch any of these things, Nancy, especially the online things or the live things. And hey, Phil just joined us. Phil, welcome to the show today. We're so excited to see you and welcome. Let's give you know, a welcome to Phil. We'll see you in the chat room. Everyone, welcome Phil in the chat room. Nancy just signed in from Denver. Nancy, I know you're a Buffalo fan. Welcome. They didn't play well this week. Good to see you here today. You know what I mean? It goes on and on. And it seems like they're telling us 50 times what they're going to tell us. Right. Right. Instead of just getting to the point. Right. So, and that's, that's the first step is you got to just be just really, how can you just consolidate it? And you know, I like to, when I provide you a webinar, I always come on 10 minutes early and that's kind of water cooler time. Welcome. Hey, good to see you. It's almost like if I was doing something live, I'd be walking around tables and I'd be working yeah, the yeah. room. Right. But then in the webinar, you do that the 10 minutes ahead. And I think I always, you know, start on time. People, you know, roll right in and just, you know, ask people type in the chat where you're from, let them just do it. And then if somebody sees, Oh, you know, Hey, I live near San Francisco. So do you great. Or I grew up there, you know, then they can have a little bit of chit chat going on in there, but you know, you're not wasting time. Uh, by welcoming everyone by name. (laughs) So back to the course creation, I keep taking us off topic. It's my fault. Sure. Sure. Uh, I, you know, I want to charge 500 bucks. I want to charge nine 97, you know, cause I hear the seven works. Uh, Mm -hmm. and so I feel like I have to have a lot of stuff, right. Uh, you know, so I need a lot of modules, you know, what do I do about all of that? How do I make it seem $900 worth if it's really only four, nine minute videos? Mm-hmm. Well, four, nine minute videos, how much are you going to get? What are people going to get from You have to think about what's the transformation. Life, it's going to change right. your life. It's going to okay. change everything and, about the way you think about everything. And that's what drives pricing is what's the transformation that people are going to feel are going to experience. So if it's a life-changing event, if it's I'm going to be able to um, go through this a career coaching program, which is going to allow me to negotiate and get, you know, additional 10, 20,000 in salary, you know, it's worth it for me to spend $1,000 on a program like that. 
uh, if you're going to teach me how to use Microsoft Microsoft Excel uh, and be able to do pivot tables, that's meant, you know, it's important to some people, but it's not going to garner that type of a, of a price point. Right. That's more like the, and, you know, it's always good, I think, to have some kind of short um, mini modules, if you will, as a way to kind of part of bringing people in. It's a low price offer. It's an easy yes. It gets people started with you. They start to know you and like you and trust you. And then they're ready to uh, invest more later on. Give me some of the best practices in terms of marketing. Is What have you heard that's just a great technique? Uh, some of the stories of some really incredible successes. And then I'm going to ask the exact same question of finance. What should it cost? How much should I budget? All that. So just to give you a okay. format here, marketing, give me well, some of your best practices and thoughts. What should I think about doing? Well, the first thing is you want to have some kind of a sales funnel. So an email sequence to invite people into your program. Now, if you have not been regularly engaging with your audience, you want to start off your email sequence, just giving people tips. And whether they're written or uh, a short video, just give them tips so you're giving them value. And then after you do three to five of those, then start doing the um, inviting people into an event and invite them initially to a free event. And then from the free event, that's then where you start the upsell into the online course or whatever other um, types of services that you might have. That's worked very, um, I've seen that work very well for a lot of people. It's just a way to just get the engine revved. And you need and a then freebie in terms, there that, how important is the freebie giveaway? Uh, the freebie giveaway, it's great to have some kind of a lead magnet. I have one that I, that's on my website. It's called eight easy steps to create training that sells. And it's just a short PDF that people can read and it gives them exposure to what my methodology is. I have a good friend. She's an expert in LinkedIn and she has um, an assessment that people can go through and they can evaluate their LinkedIn profile. Kind of, you know, she asks different questions. So giving people, you know, people love checklists and assessments because, yes, they when they, you know, they're right. They're doing something. Yes. So, so that's a good thing to um, to build in along the way. You can have it as part of your sequence and then also have it as something that's downloadable on your website. It's also a good idea to engage and have articles. Um, if your people are, if you're, where do people hang out? If they hang out on LinkedIn, look at what you can do to create a series of articles. Just to, you know, it's like, so you've got to have like the visibility that's keeping you in front of people as well as, you know, continuing to invite them into, into events. And along the way, how can you get on other people's stages, other people's programs, whether, you know, here I'm on this podcast with you, this is going to expand my network out into other places. Uh, I've been invited to speak to other people's audiences and just looking for those types of opportunities. It just helps you to just continue to, to continue to just, grow and be out there and be a presence and talk to me about the finances uh, i want to build a class how much should i expect to spend on what how long in the finances it you know a lot of it depends on the uh, you know how much content that you have 
So if we're looking at, let's say, and, and I'm going to just use an hour's worth of content, it doesn't necessarily delivered in an hour long format, but that much um, information, you can expect um, if you're working at the biggest cost is in doing your any video production that you want to do. And if you choose to shoot in a home studio, you know, there's really not, not a lot of cost there if you're already set up and you have a, a camera. If you choose to level up and go into a studio, you can plan, um, depending on where you are in the country, anywhere from $1,000 to $3,000 for a one-day video shoot. And then the editing after that is, you know, it just depends on how much you want to do. So you can, you can easily plan on spending three to $5,000 on getting your getting video up and running if you want to do you know, studio level quality. And that's, that's, you know, a decision that people have to make. If you work it and you do it in your home studio, then, you know, you need to invest in a microphone, a good camera and lighting, and you can easily spend, you know, depending on the camera, it's <laughs> starting around $500 there. A lot of people want to shoot in Zoom and you can shoot in Zoom, but there's a compression factor. And sometimes the quality out of Zoom won't happen. I, try, I shot several things in Zoom, and when it came back, there was something off in my voice. Who knows what went on that day? Was it Zoom? Was it my Wi-Fi? I don't know. That's, there's there's a, um, a risk there. And then there's getting everything up onto a platform, and there's lots of different LMS options out there, and some programs you can load content out there at no charge, but they limit how much you can do. Um, they seem to generally run around anywhere, let's say $50, probably the minimum monthly fee. And a lot of it depends on how much content you're going to put out there. And then what's the service level that you're looking for? Um, do you just want a place to house your course or do you want to have an all-in-one email um, marketing system? So there's lots of, lots of variables. Um, but you can plan, you know, easily spend three to five thousand dollars to get something out of the gate. Yep. Uh, I Minimum. agree with almost every number you gave. It sounds that was a very fair estimation. I just want to add in one thing: Zoom. I've had more trouble with Zoom than uh, I anticipated. And now we have a policy. We just flat out don't use Zoom. We're a radio show, and it has to sound good. We need that right-left thing, you know, in your car when you can listen to music. On, yes. Bounce it back and forth You when you were 16. Uh, you can't do that with Zoom. Zoom is one flat track, and so there is no right and left, mm -hmm. that kind of stuff. And so uh, it's a great thing to keep your kids talk, you know, talking to their classmates, you know, during a pandemic, but... I think for larger <laughs> business uses, it's not uh, studio quality or anything. So yes, people need to know that. And I don't know about their executive or upgraded products. I've never bothered with that. Um, anyway, I like, I also wanted to throw out one more thing. I, we use Kajabi for our course management. You said uh, learning management systems, LMS, and uh, I love Kajabi thoughts on that. Is there a better one? Uh, that's where we actually load all of the stuff up to right. and they, you know, help with charging and, you know, a lot of the back end stuff that make the classes look professional. Your thoughts. I think Kajabi is a fine platform. 
another option for people to consider if they're just getting started that is similar in terms of capability it doesn't quite have everything but it's pretty darn close is called new zendler and that runs last time i checked seven hundred dollars a year well and i'll so make I that in two sales yes there you go so awesome so yeah so that's i think that's a great and they have one of the nice things about that platform is you can get on there for free and poke around and see how it all works and even start and put some content out there. And then you get to a particular point and then you can pull the lever to actually start paying. Um, <clears throat> what's, what I think is great about to be able to get in there and do things at no charges. I see a lot of these platforms kind of like gym memberships. You sign up, you're all enthusiastic, you're ready for two weeks and then don't show up. Right? So. Yes. You're cutting out there a little bit, Nancy. It's that Zoom problem. Oops, I'm sorry. Yeah, uh, we're out of time, <laughs> and I we need to point people in the right direction. It's Nancy Geary, and Geary is pronounced or spelled G-I-E-R-E, -E, and nancygeary.com. You can also go and get the book on Amazon. Again, that title, Bundle Your Brilliance, Turn Your Expertise into Profitable Online Courses. And it is five star rated. Nancy, anywhere else we should look for you? Anything else? You can find me on LinkedIn and I'm happy to you can message me there or you can just connect with me through my website. Those are the two best places to find me. Fantastic. I appreciate it very much. Thank you. And you were great. Thank you so much. I enjoyed it. We're out of time, but you know what we do. That's right. We come back tomorrow. Thank you for being with us today. Take care, be safe, and go make a million dollars. Bye now. <laughs> Bye.